0: Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Flowpath. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern-day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today's guest is coming live from Lexington, Kentucky, which is relevant with it being March Madness right now. But uh, Luana Holland Parish, thank you so much for joining as today's expert. Uh, why don't you tell the, the audience a little bit about uh, who you are and what it is you do?
1: Oh, well, thank you, Griffin. So hello, everyone. My name is Luana Holland Parish. And I'm currently the VP of Standards and Practices for ESFM, which is a corporate facility management division of the Compass Group. Uh, I've been working with ESFM for the past three years, although I've been with Compass for a total of 17 years and had the opportunity to work for three other sectors. Uh, But I've been with ESFM for the past three years, and my department is responsible for the implementation of quality programs, how we drive those standards uh, across our sector, in uh, really consistency, right? So in addition to, um, to being uh, a quality person, I am also the subject matter expert for regulated spaces, as we have a lot of business in our biotech, pharma, medical devices. Uh, prior to joining ESFM, I've worked a lot in biopharma manufacturing overseeing large critical pieces of equipment and managing a combination of hard and soft services. Uh, in addition to that, monitoring our KPI performances, I'm heavily involved in uh, audit and compliance and those KPIs. I love the fact that I've had an opportunity to work in the operation. So I understand what our operators really want. And then looking at it from a regional uh, level and having multiple um, accounts to oversee that had uh, different types of uh, clientele, if you will. And then now I have uh, a central role uh, in looking over it and taking care of an entire sector. So ultimately responsible for minimizing risk in the business, identifying those tools and procedures that um, help us
0: stay afloat. So that's,
1: that's who I am. Yeah, no,
0: (laughs) that's uh, really helpful there. And, Uh, Interesting because you you said you came up in the uh, medical world or the biopharm world. Tell me about that. Did you just fall into uh, facilities management and compliance or was that an intentional route and you just happened to be in that industry?
1: Well, I'm a biologist, which is very interesting. So I think a lot of people fall into facilities management, right? I, I don't know, like unless you're an engineer or something and you just love doing things like that. And I've fallen into that and I'd say specifically Um, coming out of college and really just wanting to be a research person. Well, uh, my first big gig in the military was just overseeing laboratories. I had five labs. And before you knew it, I was the compliance person. I had to make sure that every piece of equipment critical, working with a limited amount of income uh, to everything in that um, facility had to be ready to go because it was part of that research project. So making sure that our uh, PhDs and those guys had what they needed at that time. So I was always working very closely with our maintenance guys ordering pieces of equipment, looking to see, oh, my God, do we just run it till it fails? Do we do? So we were doing we had to do all of those things. So I would say I think I've always been part of facilities management, but not really accepting that, that that's what I was doing. Uh, so as uh, ESFM over the last three years, it just really uh, started this. You know, integrated facilities management kind of offering. So I feel like I've been part of that. So as a team watching it organically grow, and that's kind of how I've gotten into that. So I'd say for the last three years, this has been immersed in nothing but that model and taking care of our clients in, in that, in that realm.
0: If you... Yeah. No, it's interesting. And you're. 100% right, where most people do uh, fall backwards into facilities management. And there's been many a times that I've had conversations with people and they're like, you know, I didn't realize it, but I've been in facilities management for more than 10 years than I have on my resume. I've been in it for 30 years. And it sounds pretty similar to you where you may not have realized it, but you've been in facilities management your entire career, which I always find very interesting. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And <laughs>
0: um. And so you mentioned specific to your role now, and so you've worked your way up, and you really have taken that background uh, now managing an entire portfolio, and really hyper focused on the compliance component, safety, as well as the quality assurance there. Um, so let's let's break that down. So talk to me about quality assurance because I know to have you know top level quality and to make sure that you have the processes in place. It is just that you have to have process uh, and standards written. So, talk to me about your experience there and what you guys are doing that's unique uh, in the QA realm for ESFM.
1: Well, you know, if you ask someone what quality means, they'll give you a different answer depending on where they are in the organization or how they come up. Like, you know, but um, the way we look at it is. If there, if you're doing something, and if there's a, um, if you're turning on the lights, there better be a process for that. We're very black and white and structured that way. So I think um, we're looking at data. Uh, we're always um, looking at what those challenges are in the in the field, and we're taking that back and we're tailoring um, tools to help our folks in the field. So I think the differentiator is that our clients always want something different, but we have to make sure that within what they're asking for, that it it makes sense. We have a lot of clients, for example, that just want a ton of technology or something crazy like that. So wait a minute, you don't even, you know, you, you're just running a baby, kind of like a small facility, but you want uh, the Cadillac version of what we call, call that. So we want to make sure that if we're implementing something like a mobile app or uh, those types of things that our clients, that it fits the mold of what our clients want. Our big challenge is how do we take all of those things that our clients want on everything, whether it's a really big, complex uh, portfolio, a very small one, that we have all of those um, requirements hardwired. So we start with what we call just a standard template of requirements. I lean very heavy and we all do. We, um, My department leans very heavy into our subject matter experts in that space to make sure that every question they were asking and how we audit them and assess them makes sense for that business. So if you see us, we love to be out in the operations. We're gonna make sure that those tools Um, capitalize on what we call your critical pathways. I like to look back and say, how can something go wrong in this operations? And we backwards plan. If it's a a gap, we need to fill it. But I like to say, hey, we have a template that pretty much works for 50% of the business. And then we customize on top of that to make sure that we are within the um, standards or the, the scope of work. Um, uh, not to go off on a tangent, but, you know, very uniquely, we consider ourselves as a hospitality group, which sounds crazy to some people. So if we're a hospitality group um, and engaging our clients, way more, giving them probably way more information that they want, but they do expect us to be experts. So we're always pulling the layer back, looking at what's going out in what's in the industry, what our competitors are doing, of course, and then how to, how to just really customize that for each of our clients.
0: Yeah. And I think that's so important because, you know, we talk to people across the industry where their desired outcome could be different than another organization or a different industry there. And if you just have a cookie cutter model, it's not going to work for everybody. And, and I love that, you know, you have the, the foundation there that it gets you halfway there, but you do have to customize that, uh, the services there to meet the needs or requirements that you discover, uh, for each and every client, uh, which I absolutely love that. And I think, it ties back and i'm sure you've done this many times a thought back to your research days uh, Mm -hmm. a direct correlation there you are going (laughs) out and you're you're playing sherlock holmes there of uh, trying to find uh, the gaps and what exactly makes sense for your clients and doing all of your due diligence
1: yeah and due diligence is a big one Uh, we've mobilized a ton of our business and as we grow uh, we are a, a a very close group knit of folks and when we go to mobilize business we we go through this process of okay, looking at what they have and what they want. Is there a risk here? And I love that uh, now, even down to procurement, we're all having that conversation at the same time, multiple meetings, and it just is almost like a, syf- a symphony at this point. Uh, looking at their documents, understanding what the scope really is, because what <laughs> what we may be handed might look a little different, and then the clients. May have something totally different in mind. So we really take that time during mobilization to identify what we call those rates. What what's the problem? How do we fix it? Where are the risks in that business? And can they do they even have like the the bandwidth to handle some of the technology we want to throw at them? And is the timing right? 30, 60, 90 days down the line, how can we continue to uh, gain the confidence of the client, but then capitalize on, you know, our our desire to do more self-performing, performing, you know, and instead of like trying to subcontract everything. So it really is that, that time, but I think mobilization has given us, uh, doing a lot of mobilizations, and, and I think we're fortunate to, to be growing at such a fast pace that we're able to, uh, get better at that. But that's really where to me, the rubber meets the road and just customizing and making sure that those critical response times or whatever's important to the client that we dive into it there, figure it out yeah. and enroll uh, and with that.
0: Absolutely. And I think that playbook that you just outlined there is something that everyone could take away, right? No matter the size of their organization or what industry they're in, or if they have you know, consultants or a team like yourself that could help and come and help out with that. Uh, Regardless, that is a great playbook to have uh, in every scenario that um, a facilities manager comes across. Um, So uh, switching gears, and you mentioned this, uh, you touched on it, but uh, you guys have, you're not using a bunch of subcontractors and which is a little unique to the IFM world. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about that model and why you guys decided to go in that direction.
1: Oh, it's what our clients want, right? A client, uh, and most folks don't—they don't want to um, have a lot to do, so they they rely heavily on us uh, to look at their to look at their business and to see where it makes the most sense to self perform, right? So there, there's like a, I, I always think of it as like the two bubbles, and then they may merge in the middle, uh, and then there's some things that just doesn't make sense, and we're just not going to specialize in it. But when you think about something as routine, it's just a regular maintenance, changing, you know, we can get the low hanging fruit uh, or janitorial service. We still do a ton of that. But then just being able to take a look at what we have, but migrating to at least 80% is kind of like the sweet spot for us. We're not going to really go out and do water treatments. And uh, I won't say certain things, but right now today we won't (laughs) there's absolutely no telling what they may tell us we're doing or electrical repairs those things that really have a critical component in it we will then subcontract that out but if it's up to us we're going to do the hvac repairs we're going to look at some of the you know plumbing and low voltage low voltage things like that will do Uh, but um, it's really a hybrid uh, and it's based on that sla uh, and then what's allowed uh, can we bundle some of those work orders and if they can allow us to find efficiencies in their business? But really uh, being able to look at the business the way it is and then having that deeper rooted relationship with our clients allows us to then say, hey, we can do this now. We're not going to do it now or we'll do it later. And it's just really taking those baby steps. Um, our team is, I think when I looked last, and I think this is a crazy number, but we have over a and. 13,000, I mean, over 113 years of experience between our hard services um, professionals that we rely on. Uh, so we're always going back to the table to say, does this make sense? Is there just too much risk in taking that on? Uh, but what that does is it frees up our clients to be able to be more, way more productive in whatever it is that they need to do with their day and not uh, re- not have to worry about multiple vendors and those responsibilities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you, you mentioned it, right. It's going to be unique for every client and the end goal, uh, it's going to be unique, but you guys are there to, to help get them from point A to point B as efficiently as possible. Um, something else I wanted to talk through specifically to the industries you guys are, are working with and the clients you guys are working with, um, safety and compliance. Those are two big areas that I'm, I'm sure are top of mind for everybody. Um, So over the last couple of years in particular, uh, on the compliance front, I imagine that uh, your world has been rocked, uh, it seems like, every day with updates. Um, But (laughs) talk to me about best practices, either as a uh, service provider uh, or as someone working with a service provider, on what you should be looking for and how you could partner with uh, an IFM organization specific to safety and compliance.
1: Well, you know, safety is a big thing, and and under the umbrella of... uh, Uh, what I do. Believe it or not, safety rolls under me. So safety and compliance, they they do go hand in hand. I'll say one one of the big misses or the best practices is that uh, training and and hiring right. That is paramount in everything that we're doing. The mistakes we make now uh, can cost our clients millions of dollars. So we have to think about that. Uh, as we it's not just, hey, I know you and you seem like a really nice person, but we have to really we lean into our HR professionals to make sure that they're out there looking and and finding these uh, very unique kind of specialties. Uh, we want people to be able to grow and have that career path. But a best practice is not to waste a lot of time and thinking that you can't afford it because the cost of non-compliance is enormous it's something that you know we're having conversations with wait a minute we need we need to get legal involved in this and and we probably need more insurance ourselves uh, but what we've learned is looking at every piece of what's being asked of us uh, not shying away from that responsibility but understanding that risk then um, we spent and this is really uh, interesting um, my uh, safety director, the loan worker. What a big thing! People that were just not thinking—you're not thinking about all of those things with having multiple people in your business and working over the weekend, or or those types of things—and and so we we find it—we've kind of finessed our business model to make sure that our requirements on our side are robust. For example, quarterly business reviews—that's fine. Where you're talking to the client. But what are we doing at the account level to make sure that we have our, you know, we, we have everything in place. So we, we spend a lot of time uh, looking at our annual requirements and self-assessing. If you're okay with self-assessing at the account level, we do that on a weekly basis. And then on a regional manager, they're looking at their business on a monthly basis, if not more. So really, I'd say training, higher rights first, the right time is a, is a best practice. Keeping it simple at those levels. Uh, you'll, you'll thank yourself later. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely is right. Um, and hiring is one of those tricky things where, especially right now, it's so hard to find top talent and retain top talent where it is easy to have that short-term win of just, you know, good enough. Right. And Uh, the resistance to that is uh, a challenge in and of itself, but uh, absolutely right where that could come back and haunt you uh, or in your case, clients, right? So having a process down and making sure that you're following said process uh, from the get-go in hiring is extremely important there.
1: Yeah. We've uh, spent some time with with our uh, LMS system and being able to build competencies in that. Because if you know your staff is competent, (laughs) then that changes the morale, that changes culture in a way that people feel confident in what they're doing and to be able to make better decisions and ask for what they need at the appropriate time. Uh, So some of the systems when, you know, COVID hit you know, you really reflect as a business and it gave us an opportunity. We never stopped working because our folks are in these critical spaces and we were making a difference where vaccines were being made. So that was happening. But we also had an opportunity to look at how we trained our people, what they needed. And so uh, being able to take more modules or be able to enhance uh, and learn something new. And a lot of us, found ourselves client facing. So, you know, you don't think of, you think of hard services or these guys behind, you know, this door and it's really loud and they come out with hard hats and And something magical happened back there. But in reality, you know, our folks are now more client facing. uh, And so developing people in different ways also helps us with our strategy, Um, sharing best practices through a form. We have our heart services uh, form, which uh, our guys oversee. And it seems to be a great meeting. I sit in sometimes, but they're talking about things and, and sharing experiences, uh, and what's happening at their respective accounts that it's, you know, really helping other folks and just saying, hey, we all have these similar challenges. How are we dealing with that? So those are some of those best practices that are that we take advantage of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, learning from one another, to your point, sharing best practices and collaborating, that's the fastest way to improve both personally as a team and as an organization there. Uh, so absolutely love that. And I do have one last question for you. And I ask everybody. So, as who or what has had the biggest impact on you and your career? That's hilarious, and, and it's it's really funny.
1: And I'll I'll say this, and I'll say it was my mom, and, and she's probably that. Uh, there were there was a time uh, when I just said I just I just think I'm just going to go ahead and just you know take a different career path and do something safe. And she remind reminded me and she continues to remind me that if you have the skeleton and the desire to do something, that you should never stop filling your plate. You're just this empty plate, right? Or an empty bowl. But um, if you have that integrity, hard work, and those types of things, and you know, you always sometimes, at some point, you think your parents don't know anything. And we all get to that point. Usually we're 16. <laughs> But it really was her that, you know, I remember walking out and traveling and it's just nonstop and she's like, hey, this is, you know, you can don't overflow your cup, but do just enough. And I think that's where my passion, desire and wanting to do things right all the time uh comes from just her being probably that biggest cheerleader. And and I know it's usually oh it's my professor or something, but no, it was my mom.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I love asking that question because I, I never prep anyone for it, one. Oh. And it it's funny to to see you know, where someone goes, right? And you'd be surprised how many folks go back into uh, someone early on in their childhood that had a profound impact, whether it was family, it was a, you know, an athletics coach or anything, a teacher, a professor. Um, and so it's, that goes back into just really a theme of the podcast, frankly, has been this great resignation and facilities management and the uh, desperate need to have new talent come up and the impact that we've all felt at, in our youth, that's something we should you know, pay it forward, right? Where we go back and we pay it forward to the next generation and, hey, here is a, a viable career path and here's how I got to it. And you don't have to fall backwards into facilities management people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely.
1: Well, oh, what a joy. Well,
0: well, thank you so much for for taking the time to come on. It's been an absolute pleasure. In the show notes, I'll have a link to your LinkedIn profile if anyone has any questions or follow-ups there if they want to find anything in addition uh, to ESFM. Um, so once again, thank you so much for coming on and looking forward to staying in touch with you.
1: All right. Well, have a great weekend.
0: Thanks. You as well. Take care. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn for more facilities management content.